Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. Hi, this is Rich Myers with NCAT. In this episode, Justin Duncan, a specialist with NCAT's ATRA, the National Sustainable Agriculture Information Service, talks with Noah McDonald, the Hammer Hayes Fellow at the Southeastern African American Farmers Organic Network, about efforts to preserve the heritage and lands associated with farmers in the southeastern region of the country. Justin works out of NCAT's Southwest Regional Office in San Antonio, Texas. Justin and Noah's informal conversation took place between presentations during the recent Black Farmers and Urban Gardeners National Conference in Durham, North Carolina. Noah and Justin have their conversation outside, so you'll hear some traffic going by. Let's listen. Okay, so uh, we're here talking about land loss. And my name is Justin Duncan. I'm with Atra, and I'm here with... Noah McDonald. I'm with uh, SAFON, Southeastern African American Farmers Organic Network. All right, so... We, we want to know about land loss. What what's going on in in the community? What's what's gone on in the past? Um, tell tell us what you know about about land loss in the farming community. So from my so at Safon, I'm doing some research around how we can stop and reverse specifically rural Black and African American land loss. Um, and I've, been a, I've had the privilege to speak with a lot of experts about this, um, listen to them, learn from them, and also um, do a lot of reading. And one of the things I've learned is that there has been a um, concerted effort, especially in the past, to deprive rural farmland in the southeast specifically from african-americans to keep it from african-americans um and then also that it was intentionally taken from african-americans in the south what, so that's mm-hmm. and what were some of those methods that they used um there were a number of different methods uh all the way from people resorting to um physical violence to drive people off the land and then um, people altered court records, um, intentionally altered them. People, you know, disposed of deeds, titles, forged, things of that nature. Another, so that's more of the kind of violent actions that occurred. But also, um, even, even more common, I, I would say, was kind of these soft ways of taking land. Um, with uh, a lot of um, a lot of black rural farmland in the southeast is is air property. Um, I recently read in a report by the Land Assistance Fund of the Federation for Southern Cooperatives. Um, they did a report, and in 1980, they found that around 40 percent of black rural farmland in the southeast is air property. And air property, what happens is a person dies without willing writing a will to their land, deeding the land to a specific person. And what happens is it's the share on that land is split equally amongst the heirs or the descendants of that person. And so they actually all what's called have tenancy tenancy in common. But what can happen is 
outsiders can actually buy a share, one person's share, so they can go up to, say, a great-grandchild of that original person and say, I want to buy your share. They can buy the share, um, and they can, sometimes they just buy up all the shares, but other times they can do what's called a forced sale. Um, and so the entire parcel of land gets sold on usually the courthouse steps. That was a very, very, very common method um, back um, starting in really the 1900s going all the way into the 80s. How, how can that be? What, what law or what statute or what, what um, you know, legal thing is in place to, yeah. to cause them to force that sale? So each state has what's called uh, intestacy laws. So to die intestate in legal framework means to die without writing a will. Um, and so each state actually gets to determine and write their own laws around that. And what's happened is there has been a starting in 2010 there's actually been a shift in this legislation um to where that's that's no longer possible in certain states but this was just this was just essentially written into um how people interact with with uh tenancy and tenancy in common so you can um and technically, if you want to read more about it, it's called a forced partition sale. That's the legal term for what I'm speaking to. Um, and you can figure out like exactly step by step what that involves. It's a forced partition sale. What states is that still legal in? Or do you know? Um, I'm not exactly sure. No, there's there's been a handful of southern states that have passed. There's this um, it's a it's called like a uniform air property law. So there's just been this providing presiding legal body that wrote model legislation that says, hey, here's like better legislation. And then state rep, state uh, lawmakers vote on it to approve it. So that's why certain states have different ones than others right now. Um, so what about um, maybe areas outside the, the South? Mm-hmm. Um, because I know during the Dust Bowl era, lots of people, uh, they lost land. Um, what what effects were going on, or what uh, what things were going on to, to cause land loss uh, between like maybe 1920 and, and 1950? Yeah, so in that time, you really have I would say two things. Um, the whole we were talking about this earlier. The whole get big or get out um, promotion of large acreage with farm mechanization um, and in intense mechanization from planting the seed all the way to harvesting um, and that really um, undermined a lot of small farmers that couldn't afford that equipment and um, and so it made it economically just not viable to continue to farm and then also this these fluctuations in crop prices especially in major commodity, what's called commodity crops now, um, those fluctuations really hurt small farmers across the entire United States, especially the Midwest and the Southeast. Um, and, and so that's what I would say are kind of the two big, like it was just not economically viable. And so people left the farm 
to look for other opportunities. People left farms to work in coal mines, to work in mills, um, you know, to work in housework, things like that. People just, it just was not, people were not able to, and, and, and that is, that is experience of African Americans, but is beyond that to just rural folks in general. That's, that's pretty distressing. Um, so moving on from the 50s, uh, later on, you know, towards in between the 50s and now, uh, what were what were some of the contributing factors uh, to land loss? I would say I would say that a lot of these historical pieces that I was speaking about actually kind of continued um, almost to the present. And I would hesitate to say that some of this is still happening. Um, this this very kind of suspicious and not ethical involvements with air property forcing sales it's still happening but i would say really a a big one from what i've witnessed is this kind of lack of of uh cohesion across generations a lot of young people are really not interested in um farming in a rural area um they don't see it as economically beneficial or viable for them it's just not even like sometimes it's not even on their radar as a possibility for how to live just in general um and a lot of a lot of what happened um in the 50s and 60s and even going a little bit back if we're specifically talking about african americans in the rural south is that during the great migration the younger a lot of the younger generation left the south and they and they either inherited the farm from a grandparent or parent and immediately sold it to get money in order to move to the north and live in the north or they just left just completely left and the land was just there with no one to inherit it and so then it ends up being taken by taxes and sold up and sold at auction on the courthouse steps like you mentioned stuff earlier. like that mm-hmm. or just people just other the 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 get bigger or get out farmers they were buying that land they were the ones that they were mechanizing they wanted more and more acres because they would the more acres they got more efficient they would be with their because of their equipment and sometimes some of those farmers were the ones forcing sales. Some of them were also buying things, you know, were just buying outright. So you've, you've painted a pretty dire picture um, on this whole land, yeah. land loss yeah. uh, issue. And it, it, it is a dire thing. It's, yeah. it's bad when families lose their land. That's, that's their connection. It's uh, yeah, it is. their livelihood or, or their historic livelihood. Um, so is there any hope? Is there any bright, bright, um, spot in this or is there any uh, silver lining to this dark cloud yeah I think so I really think so um, I live as an optimist so I think a lot of the children or grandchildren of these folks that went north are you know at this at this conference that we're at um, a lot of these people here are the grandchildren and children or great-grandchildren of people that came up to the North during the Great Migration, lived in cities. They are deeply interested in reclaiming or revisiting or trying to understand what it means to live in the rural South, to farm in the rural South, to be a black farmer in the rural South. 
presents us with an opportunity to rekindle bonds in an intentional way because a lot of folks farmed and because there was no other way to live back then but now we can be intentional about it now we can now we can see i'm doing this because it gives my heart deep joy and i and i feel whole when i do this um and so i think it's an opportunity for us to to bring the pieces back together and to even build something that's new so what what advice would you give to a person that was you know about to lose their land or they were thinking about selling their land or or you know they were in mm-hmm. some some situation where you know they weren't going to be a part of the uh the farming tradition i would say two things for those who were thinking of selling their land but not in threat of losing it due to legal processes or or any other reasons um i would say to them there are there are options other than than selling land to people who will develop it into urban areas or suburban areas there are people who are dedicating their lives to preserving black rural farmland and who are frankly going to be purchasing farmland. This is what we are trying to do in our organization. We want to have an alternative for landowners that want to sell their land, that need money from selling land maybe, or they don't have anyone to farm the land. We want to be able to step in and say, hey, we have black folks that are willing to do this work to buy this land and then for those who are in threat um their land is in threat right now there are organizations that also dedicated their lives to helping um black landowners retain their land the land loss prevention project is in durham north carolina is a really big example of that as well and historically the federation of southern cooperatives land assistance fund they i mean they would go to the horse courthouse steps and they would buy this air property in front of all these people that were trying to get it they would come up with cash and just take it and put it in the land bank because they realized how important this land was and so i would say be open research find legal assistance there the land loss prevention project they are a they if they cannot directly help you they will know someone who can they their that entire organization is dedicated to to stopping black rural land loss teams of lawyers all right so what about uh what about a young person looking for land i would say to remain patient and to but to engage deeply and be ambitious in the process of of getting land. I would say have that vision for the future of, okay, you know, maybe I want to own, if I was a young farmer, beginning farmer, I want to own land, have that vision into the future, but realize we have, there's a lot of steps along the way of, you know, there's apprenticeship opportunities, internship opportunities, farm management opportunities. And then additionally, You know, I would say that there, just to be frank, there is not, there are not organizations 
dedicated right now that have a project that can help a young, specifically black, aspiring farmer to immediately access land. And that is what we're trying to do at Saffon. We're trying to build that at Saffon. Yeah. All right, man, it was good talking with you. And, yeah, thank and, you. Uh, thank you, Justin. Thanks for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening to us on, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information, you can contact Justin Duncan directly via email at justind at ncat.org. That's J-U-S-T-I-N-D at N-C-A-T dot org. In the notes below this podcast, you'll also find links to some related ATRA resources, including the publication Finding Land to Farm, Six Ways to Secure Farmland, Financing Your Farm, Guidance for Beginning Farmers, Tips for Farm Leases and Contracts, Creating Smart, Effective Documents, and NCAT's long-running and popular Sustainable Agriculture Apprenticeships and Internships Database. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot org. Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, from produce to livestock and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at our website, www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.